smokes. I, I can't believe it's been a month already. It's just I, crazy. And I'm proud of you that you did Thank it. You. you took it from idea to inception to, okay, let's create something and actually put it out there. So I am very honored to be part of this and thank you. I know, but it's it's wild when I think I'm like, next week is August. Next week is August? Like, <laughs> right? how? I'm sorry, I'm not ready for this. I'm not. I don't have I don't have plans for Christmas yet, and I know what's coming around the corner. Oh, don't talk about that yet. I'm not definitely not ready for that. I'm not. How has the course been going? Are you guys having a good time? Are you able to see the chat? I am. Okay, I don't know if anybody cool. will tell me. But Jason, how are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> course no, so you know what's been really great is just how supportive everybody has been yeah. inside of the group. They're diving in, they're doing their homework, they're showing up for themselves, they're making themselves a priority. And as you go through and you read the comments, and I, I haven't been able to respond to everything, but we're going to answer some of your questions. I have them written down on attachment today. So we're definitely going to do that. But I'm just so appreciative of the way everybody's showing up, not only for themselves, but for one another. Yeah. And just the amount of vulnerability that's happening within the challenge. It's just amazing, once again, to see all this stuff come together and to know that I created that I allowed for this to happen I created a space where people could come and have these interactions with each other but not just with just anybody with like-minded individuals that are going through similar experiences that can truly show support and empathy and that guidance and that help and the support of a friend we may not know each other we may never see each other directly or share the same space, but we can certainly share the same time while being on the internet and being live in the challenge. Yeah. So Sabrina, I'm pretty sure my audience knows who you are, but for the few that probably don't, who are you? Where did you come from? When did you start posting? What made you start posting? And then tell us about how you started the podcast as well. Cool. So yes, to anybody who doesn't know you, know me, you, me. Hi, good morning. It's Monday morning. <laughs> We're Hi. symbiotic. We're one in the same. <laughs> we are the same. <laughs> um, no, my name is Sabrina Zohar, dating coach and host of Do The Work podcast. So a bit about me. Um, I think it'll all just give you my story and it'll all kind of play in together. Yeah. Um, so I have a clothing company called Software, and that was always my first love for the last five years, oh, six years now, which is crazy. And that's really where I was putting a lot of my effort. And in that time is where I really started to see, you know, you do things that'll break you, you'll start to see how strong you are. And I really started to realize like that in combination with my dating, like where my anxiety was starting to take place in my life. Because for so long, I thought it was just my dating life was a fucking shit show. And I was super anxious and I couldn't keep anything for longer than like a day. And then when I started working on my business and realizing like, holy shit, and then having my, my ex-partner, my ex love interest partner as part of the business, like all of that culminating, I hit rock bottom in 2018 um, and literally just like lost myself. I was with a narcissist and was the shell of a human and realized I was with my father. Very cliche, but it, it really did manifest that way. And at the time is when I was like, fuck it. All right. I need to start therapy. I need to start doing something like a Hail Mary. And so I just started therapy um, and figured at, at the very least, let me see if this, if this helps me. And that was when I started to realize, like, that's when I read Attached for the first time. Like, I'll never forget reading it right before my ex and I, this was when we first started dating because he told me to read it. That's the irony of it. The raging narcissist told me to read Attached because I had all the issues. And I read it and I remember just putting it down. Like he was coming over. Like I literally viscerally remember this moment and throwing it on the floor and being like, I have anxious attachment style. That's it because I felt so alone. And I felt like I can't be the only one that feels all of these things, but I had no understanding of like my childhood and how that played into it. I knew I had my dad who was the way he was, but I just really didn't understand how I had learned all of that behavior. And so fast forward 2019 is when I started really therapy, ketamine treatments, like throwing myself into it because I think everybody that knows me personally will always say like, I take personal development very, very, very seriously. And to me, that is the one investment I will always make and will continue to make. And then fast forward, working on myself for three, four years, moved to um, LA in 2021 and my entire life really changed. Um, I would say really last year was more the culprit. Um, I was starting to take coaching clients just because of all the podcasts and things that I was doing. I was putting myself out there and people were starting to hear me and say, wait a minute, I like, I want to know about this journey that you went on. Can you coach me? How did you do this? That started at early 2021 ish, like mid to early. 
And I took it very lightly. I was still really focusing on my career of, of uh, my clothing line software. And then last year when kind of the shit hit the fan and I started taking clients more. And that's when I started to realize what really started me with the podcast actually was uh, George Foreman three as a friend of mine. And I was at his gym planning the software event and we were talking about shark tank and all of these things I had coming. And he just looked at me and said, I don't get it. Why don't you have a podcast? And I was like, dude, nobody cares about me. I was like, nobody gives a shit about what I have to say. Limiting belief. Right. It had nothing to do with want. It had to do with, I didn't believe in myself. And I, that's when I started my TikTok. I was like, all right, let me see. Maybe there are other people out there that experience what I experienced and I'm not so alone. And that just mushroomed TikTok blew up as you know how that world works. Um, and then that's when in February of this year, I was like, or January 26th was the first episode. I bought a mic, took a photo in my apartment and was like, fuck it, let's try. And since then, here we are to the podcast blowing up and becoming my kind of my main passion and also having a full-time coaching business, which is things that I never believed in my wildest dreams I would do. And it really all stemmed from realizing I wasn't alone and realizing that I'm no better or worse than anybody on this journey. I'm just a little further along and I can tell you the road bumps that are coming ahead so that you could try to steer a little left or right and utilize things that actually work versus people talking at you, not to you. Well, and so that's the whole thing, right? Like when we get into coaching and we start talking about that, you're most you're best equipped to help the person that you once were. And it's much more relatable when you're just a couple more steps ahead of someone else in their journey. It's not, not ahead from the aspect that I'm better than you. There, there, there's, that's not it. It's I'm just a couple steps further in my journey and I want to pay it forward. I want to give back. I want to provide this information because it was so deeply impactful and helpful to me that maybe you too can find value in that. Yeah, exactly. And I think, that's why so often people, it's like they only trust, oh, if, you want, if you're a therapist and it's like, well, right. I hate to break it to you. One, a lot of them are my clients. I'm sure you can relate. Right. Yes. But two, just because you cognitively understand something doesn't mean that you can, one, teach other people how to, to do that or help them. And two, just because you went to school for something doesn't mean that you understand how this translates into real life. Because without that experience of like, like so many people, especially the really anxious, They'll be like, oh my God, I feel so seen. How did you know? I'm like, oh, I know because I was you. I literally know, I know the thought process. I know where you feel it in your body. I know exactly how you feel, which is why I can call you on your shit to say, this is nothing to do with the other person. This is you. I think it would actually be beneficial for those people that are out there that are thinking of becoming a coach or doing the same things where your life experience counts for something. And there's, there's a lot of experience that happens in your job, in the things that you do that we often discount because it's just a part of our daily lives. It's just what we do. But that's really where the value comes from, because now you can speak to things from a place of being extremely relatable. And that can be the difference of making a shift in somebody's life to create and cultivate that self-awareness within them. It almost becomes like an awakening because that you're, you provide that near to people. They see themselves in you because you're not this unattainable figure with now all of a sudden it becomes attainable for them. They see you as them. And it's like, well, if that's how far you are in your journey, well, I can do that too. And then you inspire people to do the same thing. You know, that that's something inside of you that maybe you want to create something similar for yourself. And if that's the case and you have all this knowledge and experience and all the degrees and all the good things, then I'll help you create that. Like reach out to me and I'll show you exactly what I did because I want to see you be successful. I'm not in competition with you. It's just simply we're here in the space. It rides a fine line, but there's a massive difference between coaching and therapy and coaching ain't therapy. So I want to make that clear. And there's a, my friend who used to say, it's like build a longer table, not a higher wall. It's not yeah. that we, it's like, I, I'm usually whenever I get that, I'd always ask them, I'm like, well, well, let me ask you, what about what I said? Do you not feel as valid? Yes. What about what I said? Do you, because I don't, I'm, because I'm not a therapist. What about what I said would discredit any of the words that came out of my mouth, but because you don't see that. And it's like that. My mom will always say that. I'll be like, oh, this person wrote in this really mean thing. And she's like, well, jealousy will do that. When people see other people doing things that they don't feel they can, they have to attack because a lot of these people will put a lot of work and time into this and never go anywhere. Like I have, uh, my cousin did that. She is a very, 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 very unhappy human being in life. And it's not, everybody knows that she's a very troubled girl. And the irony is she went to work for, she went to school for therapy. The one person who needs it more than anybody in this world. And she tried to attack me. And even my mom snapped at her and she was like, at least Sabrina's up there. One, not trying to hide what she is. She's very open. And she's like, at least right. she fucking says what she does and does what she says. And she looked at my cousin and she was like, you're so fucking upset. You're so unhappy where you are in your life. Stop looking at her and maybe focus on you. 
And that has become mama Zoe for the win. That has become my mentality too. Is like when people, when you're so focused on what somebody else is doing, why are they doing this? What is coming up for them? Why, if anything that has to do with the other person, I invite you to turn that back onto yourself because that is where you'll seek answers. That is not. Yeah. It just goes back to we're a mirror for everybody in our life. And you're always going to get back whatever you're currently being. If you have this experience where a lot of times we say, well, everybody I date is avoidant or everybody I date is a narcissist or everybody is this. And it's like, well, if you're in that place where everybody is one particular thing, that's something that's coming back to you that you really need to pay attention to and start to hone in on and drill down on and figure out for yourself. Like, why is this happening? What's going on? Why is this a pattern in my life? Why am I having the same or similar experience over and over and over again, but with different faces, it's different people, but still the same results at the end of the day. And that's something that's going on inside of you. Oh, yeah. And then what we also have to look at as well, that's why the post I did this morning about the mirror effect. And yeah. it's like, and what we also have to look at is the pain is the same. The thought processes are the same. The core beliefs are the same. So you want me, scoozy, sorry, I'm not so fucking sensitive here. You want to complain and bitch about the 13th avoidant that you've dated and you're so enamored and oh my God, you're devastated. It's like, we've been here before, babe. This is all the same shit. It's a rinse and repeat because this is what you're used to. And if your childhood dynamics are now being mimicked in your relationships, then yes, you will continue to allow the love that you think you are, that you think you are worthy of. And so if there is a pattern and then I, that is my first thing, I'm like, there is nobody to look at besides you and inward to start saying, what is this saying about me? Not what is this saying about them? Before we get too far down the line, can we just go back to what are the four attachment styles? The four main, I know we, we yeah. go off in a lot of different directions because all of a sudden you got AP and AA and all this other stuff. But I, I try personally to stick to the four main ones. Can you explain what those are for us? Totally. And I've, and I've spoken extensively to like multiple therapists and people in the industry and they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't muddy the waters. Like these are the four that we focus yeah, on. It just gets eight. really cloudy really quick. Because you know what it is? It's like, because a lot, it, what I've noticed is it's like people want to belong to something. It's so if label. you don't fit into that, exactly. Yeah. If you don't, if I can't label myself as this, if I'm not a Taurus or I'm not an Aquarius, that is like, oh my God, I feel like my, my identity is missing. Well, who are you without that label? Obviously not, right? not, not, not Sabrina. That's if, I, if I'm not anxious or I'm not avoidant, then I don't know how to react to the world around me or how to live in it. Cause you don't know your own needs. So, okay. Yeah. So we'll go over. So there's four major, there's four types of attachment styles, one secure, the other three being insecure. So the first one, a secure attachment style, they have a high sense of self and a high sense of others. They are able to give and receive love. They know that their self-esteem isn't contingent upon somebody else's decisions for them. They are, their caregivers were able to attune to their needs and they were able to understand that their needs are, they know their boundaries. They know their non-negotiables. They understand and they are connected to themselves, their wants, needs, and desires, which is why mo most people that are secure are in relationships because they, it's not a fear of intimacy, yada, yada. There's no, none of that stuff. Then we get into the insecure attachment. So if you are not part of secure, you are part of insecure. So the villainizing of avoidance or worse than anxious, it's like, no, 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 babes. All of you guys are very similar and the same. So an avoidant is somebody who has a low sense of others, but a high sense of self, which is why avoidants are often the ones that pull away. So an avoidant is somebody in childhood and early development. They were not taught to that emotions are safe. And so when they would go to caregivers with any kind of their needs, it's why you'll hear a lot of people that have avoidant children. They'll be like, wow, they were so easy. They never cared about it. They were so, I never heard from them. It's like, no, what happened is they shut down. They were they, the quiet child. Exactly. They were the, yeah. the, 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 they parented themselves. And it's like, no, what happened is that kid shut down. The kid knew that their needs weren't going to be met. And that came with, okay, well, then this isn't safe. And so at best, a relationship is, if you're of, of independence, at worst, it's they, they're so dysregulated and so disconnected from themselves that at anything that comes in waivers, whether it's good, could be really extreme happiness or extreme sadness, confrontation, anything, they bolt because keeping their environment like drama free is safety for them because they only rely on themselves. 
Then you have the anxious, which is why the anxious avoidant trap is such a dance that happens often. The anxious is a low sense of self and a high sense of others. They had a childhood that was super inconsistent. Their caregiver was there hot and cold, give or take. Like I knew for me, my dad was always gone. And so how an anxious person learns is that if I act outward, then I will receive love and that they can only regulate when somebody else regulates them. So they're literally the opposite. And that's why the anxious and avoidant always like go for each other often is because at first the they see within each other aspects that they they themselves want to embody so somebody avoidant looks oh my god how amazing someone anxious can be so outward and so expressive and they feel their emotions and they want to co-create with me the problem is when the reassurance starts to set in and that becomes contingent and their self-worth starts to tie in that's when the avoidant pulls away and is like whoa whoa whoa, i can't handle this it's too much then the anxious person looks as an avoidant is like wow they can take care of themselves they're so self-sufficient look they compartmentalize their feelings it doesn't own who they are. The problem is then they start going and realizing, wait, they're retreating. I need them more. And that's where the dance starts to set in, where the person pulls away and then the other one comes closer. Then we go to fearful, dismissive, whatever. The other insecure attachment style, low sense of self, of self and low sense of others. So those kids often have house homes of abuse or, you know, a, a very strict caregiver. Think about they want the love from this person, but then let's say they go for it and the parent hits them, they're scared, so they retreat. And so it's that that give or take. They want the love, but they're scared to receive it because they don't trust others, nor do they trust themselves. And that's why Zoe um, Crook, she did a post, and we talked about it this morning, uh, kind of in depth on the phone, of how you know a lot of people now, this ambivalence in dating is creating a lot of um, just fearful, dismissive people in their adult lives because they're so, they want the love so bad, but they're so fucking terrified of getting hurt. And there's this risk adversity of like, no, I can't go out. And it's like, yo, you leaving the house means that you are susceptible to getting hurt. That is what it is. And that is something that we all need to understand. And that's what somebody secure understands is that they were good before them. They'll be good after. It's not just because a relationship doesn't work. Doesn't mean that their end all is that their life is over. So those are really kind of the attachment styles. If we're looking at it macro, there's a lot of nuance to it, of course, but you know, depending on where you fall in the line is where those behaviors start to come out. Because when you're triggered, cue to your nervous system that you're in danger. That's it. What do they all have in common though? Fear of intimacy, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection. And that is why oftentimes you continue. So if you're super anxious and you always go for an avoidant, it's safer. You know that you don't actually have to show parts of yourself and same with avoidance, why they go for anxious. It's like, because if you go for someone secure, you actually have to start allowing that love in. You have to become comfortable with receiving that. And that goes against the grains of your core beliefs. So it's safer to go for the behavior that you know versus the devil that you don't. And all of that is rooted in anxiety. And it's why we start talking about nervous system regulation, co-regulation, self-regulation. Can you share a little bit about what those things are and what that looks like for you in your own practice? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to, I'm glad you said that. It's like the, the one common misconception is that avoidance don't feel. And it's like, oh, they don't feel anything. And it's like, actually, no, anxiety really is the baseline for everybody. It just manifests itself differently. And it's a fear of the future and an uncertainty. Yeah, and if you were to put your hand on their heart in the moment, you would feel just the amount of anxiousness that's going through them. Right. They, they just, they shut down. They literally go into power saver mode. And so the way that we kind of look at it is like, so if you're going by polyvagal theory, is that the nervous system is kind of the ignition of the car. And so that's really where you're starting to get the synapses. So emotion, body in motion, that is emotions are the language of the body and thoughts are the language of the mind. And so often people think, oh, if I can just intellectualize this, if I can understand every aspect, then I'll be okay. But they don't understand why they're not feeling better. And that's where the nervous system starts to play in. And honestly, I was part of that. I didn't understand. And I, I remember like within the last year, I started to notice with my therapist, like, oh, wow, I'm not like, I, I thought I was triggered. I got sad. I had some thoughts, but my body felt differently. And it's like, yeah, because I started to connect between mind and body. The nervous system is beautifully created. It's created to keep you safe. Now, if you're out in the jungle and you see a tiger or a bear or whatever, here are what are your options? Fight or flight, sympathetic. So you're going to have all of that parasympathetic. I always fuck this up. Whatever it is. So you're in fight or flight. You're in the second ring of the um, the ladder. And so you're you're having all of this immobilized energy and you don't know what to do with it. And so if you're actually fighting a tiger, what you do with it is you start beating the shit out of it or you run. So fight or flight. So that is, and then think about it as a ladder. So ventral is where we all want to be. You come down here, you fight it off, you go back to safety. There you go. You run and now you're safe. 
then or if we think about dorsal a lot of people like if you've ever shut down i know i have like it gets so overwhelming my body just goes into energy saver think about the tiger you see a tiger come by you play dead okay if it just keeps going if it keeps going if it keeps going tiger runs off and what happens you go back up the ladder you get all this energy you book it you get to safety and so what happens is now as a child my favorite quote i heard the other day was the the wounds that you have, the coping mechanisms you created in childhood ultimately become the challenges you face in adulthood. And so you created all of these things to keep you safe. So for me, I had a really inconsistent caregiver. And so I created like, whether that was people pleasing, these core beliefs that kept me safe, putting myself down and internalizing that it had to have been me kept me safe because thinking about it being my caregiver was way too much of a threat. Egocentric age, a child doesn't have the cognitive ability. The problem is now in adulthood, what happens is what's a trigger it's a cue to your nervous system that you are in danger. So let's say you're dating somebody and they don't text you. What happens? Your nervous system goes, you're in danger. That's when you feel all of this. You don't know what to do with yourself. Then the ruminating thoughts start to come in because anxious brain's job is to keep you safe. Yeah, they're going to leave me. They're going to reject me. They're going to abandon me. You have no facts to back any of this up. You just have those core beliefs and what that anxious brain's job is to say, okay, what are we most scared of being abandoned and rejected? Great. This looks like that's going to happen. So we need to reaffirm and see they didn't, they, they took an hour and one minute, not an hour. I knew it. And so you literally will find problems. And that is why you stay in dysregulation so often is because your body is going, we're not safe. You're not giving it anything to feel safe. Imagine sitting there and the tiger just keeps circling you over and over and over again. Your body is like, we're not safe. We're not safe. We're not safe. That is why when you try to challenge your thoughts or do any of the cognitive stuff, you're not because prefrontal cortex, decision-making and common sense, anxious brain is back here. You are out of that part of the brain that actually can help you chip away at this. So for me, the number one thing always is going from dysregulation into regulation is so for me, my favorite thing is the shakes. I have a lot of immobilized energy and oftentimes it literally would feel like I didn't know what to do with myself. Like I would feel so overwhelmed, like an elephant sitting on my chest. And so the first thing I do is I'm like, I shake it out. Masha always taught me and she's like, fight them. Like when I had the trolls that were writing fucking mean comments to me, she's like, great, there's a troll, you're fighting it. Because what you're trying to do is you're letting your body and your nervous system know, hey, it's okay. You're safe now. So I would do that. My mom, she cleans. That's her thing is cleaning, is move, doing something kind of movement. You can yeah. punch a pillow. I used to take Clem. You my can daughter. take a walk with me. Exactly. I was going to say, I used to take yeah. Clemmy on his walks. And that's why actually when I started my TikTok, all of it was me walking because I was just right. with my dog all the time because I was so anxious. I would say, okay, let me just go. Let me go outside. So it's not about distracting yourself. And I think that's the common misconception of, oh, let me just go to the gym for five hours. Like, no, 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 no. We're not saying just to go move for a bunch. Because yeah, it's definitely back. the intention behind the action. Exactly. It's like, yeah. I say two, three minutes sometimes. Like when I do the shakes, I'll literally just shake it out. And I'm like, okay, because- it's yeah, cleaning is your go-to. Like I think for a lot of people, it's finding what works for you, grabbing ice cubes. The whole point of dysregulation into regulation is to bring yourself back to now so that you can look around and say, wait, I'm not in danger. Because what happens is when those cue happens, you're letting your nervous system know I am only safe if I get the response from this person. I am only safe if they answer me. But what we're trying to create is actually a safety within yourself, that you are okay no matter what. And it's okay to be triggered and say, wow, okay, that set me off and use that as exploration versus, and start to, then, then that's when you start to like sit in your thoughts or sit in your feelings and go through that process and start to challenge the thoughts. But if you aren't able to even be aware of dysregulation or what's triggering you, there is no way that you'll be able to do anything that comes after, which will actually help you to process this. And all of these things are what I call the tools of resilience. And it's things that you should have learned in childhood. We say should have, but it just wasn't available. Nobody knew to actually explain these things to tell you, hey, yeah, this is how you react to this. This is what you need to do next. This is how you calm yourself down. Breathwork is an amazing tool. You can use it at any time, at any age, and it's going to be awesome to get you into your parasympathetic nervous system. We don't know these things. And so you find yourself as an adult in this very anxious place of not understanding what's happening, what's going on. What am I experiencing in my body? Why do I have this chronic pain? Why do I have these experiences that I'm constantly going through almost like a pattern? It's like, well, you got to give yourself the tools to begin to unpack all of this stuff and to start figuring it out so that you can 
bring yourself out of that sympathetic nervous system and into the parasympathetic of rest and relaxation. And you're not always going to live there. So don't have that expectation that you're going to live in your parasympathetic 24 seven. It may only last for a couple minutes or a couple seconds. When you give yourself the, the tools and the opportunity, like in the moment when you're feeling the most triggered, when you're feeling the most emotionally activated, you can turn to one of these tools and then that's creating the resilience to whatever external stress is happening right now in the moment. Totally. It's like, I think for a lot of people, they're so scared of feeling. That's the biggest thing is like, I want to avoid, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be hurt. And it's like, that's not life. You can't go through life saying, well, I never want to feel pain. It's like, then don't ever fucking leave your house. And even that will come with its own pain. There is, but what we can learn is, okay. So as a child, like whenever I do inner child work with any of my clients, I always remind them, I'm like, no, 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 we're not going to focus forever on this. Like the point isn't to go back so that you could try to fix or heal this. There's nothing to do. That already happened. That moment of time is gone. What we're doing is understanding where you learned this behavior so that you can start to reparent and be there for you in a way that nobody else was there for you. Even if you had two, I get it all the time. I had the best childhood. And it's like, really? You had two incredible caregivers that are tuned to your needs that were there, that were always there. But yet you're so anxious, you can't even sit for three minutes without someone texting you. Like there's the pinch doesn't match the ouch. There's a disconnection here. And instead of holding on to it, well, no, 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 it can't be that. It's because I married a narcissist when I was 25. That's what it was. If you're not willing to understand your part in things and have such an ego that it's not anybody else, no, no, it can't be. It has to just be everybody else. You're doing yourself a grave disservice. Because again, all of these things that Jason, me, all of us that we talk about isn't because we're trying to say, if you do this, you'll 100% get the right partner. I, 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 which I saw this tech guy heard me get V upset about it. And he was like, are you going to do a video on this? And I was like, no, you're like, hell yeah, I am. <laughs> well, it, was, it was, it was, the problem was it was uh, alerts and things I was getting. So it wasn't a video, okay. but it was another one. I went on fucking YouTube and I see a Matthew Hussey video that has millions of plays. If he stops texting, do this to get him back. And I was like, my fucking God. Uh, like, if, he, if he stops texting, you stop texting. Leave him the fuck alone. <laughs> we're we're like, done. Here yeah. are 10 prompts. And he did another video. Here are 10 prompts to get him to text you every single day. And I'm like, you know what most of those are? Sexual. Most of them are, I thought about you today. I have a thought on my mind, but I won't tell until you respond back. And I'm like, that's manipulation. It's manipulation played off as playful banter. Right. As trying, because as if, oh, what? So two things. As if one, we can control other people. As if I could control what your response be. And two, as if everyone's the same. So this yeah. one text is going to elicit the same response to everybody. It doesn't make it, doesn't add, but it's not adding up. And the reason that I, for me, the reason I started doing this was it had nothing to do with, if I give you these tips, then you're going to find somebody. No, you might not, because I can't control the other half of this. But what I can do is help you feel better so that at the very least, you feel better in dating and you don't feel like a raging piece of shit that keeps going on all these dates and keeps getting rejected. And you can also start to separate and realize, wait a minute, it's not so personal. I can actually enjoy this process. And in that, allow space for the right person to come into my life that I may not have given time to. Because I can tell you, tech guy and I would never have been together if it were the old me. I would have been, my anxiety would have caused him to be like, dude, I'm not fucking doing this. Because what people with anxiety, with anxious attachment doesn't realize, and I had my client that had this, your reassurance even to someone secure, even to somebody secure, will push them the fuck away because they then internalizes nothing I do is enough. Nothing I do is enough. I can tell you all day how amazing I think you are, but you just don't believe me because it's not about them saying it. I could tell you how incredible you are. And if you don't believe it yourself, you're going to say I'm full of shit. Tech guy is a big part of your story, especially as we dive into your social media as well as the podcast. How did you guys meet and what was that like for you? Because I know you go through this path of you created some self-awareness in that journey and started doing things differently. So I think that would be really helpful for everybody to hear. Totally. I was the definition of insanity. I dated, I've been doing a lot of work on myself, don't get me wrong. But I remember my sister about a year and a half ago and she was like, Sap, you're the common denominator. There's got to be something here. And I was like, you just don't get it. Because my sister's been married since she was like, she's been with her husband since they were 18. And I was like, you don't get it. You just, you've been 20 years with your partner. You don't understand the trenches. And that's when I started to realize, okay, like I was looking for very stupid things in dating, especially I was dating in LA. Good luck. New York prior than LA, fucking shit. So what I was, I would do the, well, but he texts me every day. Like I remember there was, I did this video on limerence and there was this guy and it was like, 
clearly this guy and I not compatible. I don't even know what I liked about him. Like, yeah, he was nice and he was cute, but like, let's get off of it, you know? But he was an influencer. He was a big deal. And I equated it to, well, he's texting me every day. Oh my God, that means he must be into me because he he's choosing me, which means I have value. This person who has all these followers, they could have anybody, but they're choosing me. Oh. And I remember every guy I dated, it would all kind of end the same. And I'd be like, I just don't understand. And so the culprit, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was in September of last year when I started the TikToks. I started dating this guy. And I remember I had featured him on the TikTok. And I was like, I went on this date last night. And this guy was awesome. And real men do exist and blah, blah, blah. And there was some people that called me out on it. And they were like, I don't know about that. Like, you sure? Like, this is the behavior to be looking at? And I was like, yes, he's texting me. He already made plans for the second date, blah, blah, blah. Sure enough, after dating this guy for like a month and a half, wildly avoidant. But he texts me every morning. He texts me during the day. He texts me good morning. We had cute little jokes. We spent all the week. We spent our weekends together. But I was overlooking all the other depth that was missing. And I just kept being, no, but I just want a relationship. I just want a relationship. Like I want the, I want this partner. And the stuff I was looking at in the beginning stages weren't actually what create a real relationship. And so when my dog passed away, he was, I was dating him when he passed away. And I saw how he wasn't there for me. I remember when I found out my dog had been diagnosed with kidney failure. And I was at the vet and my mom called me and she said, call him. I don't want you alone tonight. And I called him and I said, they gave Clem a month. I'm in hysterics. I said, I need you tonight. And he goes, Oh, I was planning on just making myself dinner tonight. Um, all right. I guess if you need me. And I just remember being like, what? Like I'm in shambles. My dog of 10 years is dying. And that's your fucking answer. Like I couldn't believe it. And then like, he didn't see him for the week. He had come once. Like he was just so checked out, but still texting every day, still doing that bullshit. And so then when I, when I broke it off with him, like I went over, I ended it, I left and we were supposed to come to San Diego together and had this Airbnb that we were going to do for the month. And so then I, my mom flew in instead of for my dog. And I said, fine, why don't we just go? And my mom's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, we can't cancel the trip. And I was like, we got extended. I was like, great. We have a month down in San Diego. Fuck it. Let's just go. And when I came and I started on Hinge, I was like, you know what? Okay. I need to make some changes because me just focusing on the texting stuff, like this isn't working. This isn't creating the relationship I love or I want. And at the time I, I was like, all right, I'm not going to, because a couple of guys had seen me on TikTok and they're like, oh, I don't want to land on your TikToks. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to do that again. I was like, if I'm dating somebody, I'm not going to talk about them on social platforms because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And so then when I went, when tech guy matched with me, I remember just thinking, man, this is different. This person's asking questions in a way that I haven't, the way he was engaging in conversation. He had a really beautiful smile and his photo, which was a big one was crown and chin was in alignment because if you get angles that shows insecurities, that's a psychologically studied. And so I remember just saying, fuck it, I'll go out. And we went out and I thought he was from first impression. I thought he was, his clothes were too tight. Um, I did not. He was way, way too femme. Um, I thought he didn't talk. He didn't have a lot. He was sweat. wearing a schmedium. <laughs> He's a, he's a schmextra large. And uh, I just remember thinking, I was like, oh God, I'm like not into, but then as we went along, I was like, man, but I feel really comfortable with this guy. And we hooked up and I remember just being like, cause in my thoughts, I was like, I'm never gonna fucking see this guy again. Who gives a shit? Let mama have some fun. And the sex was great. And we went out to dinner. I remember after like, he, you know, he, he like brought me back to my car and it was just a very like, okay, well, it was nice to meet you. And I left and that anxiety stewed within me of like, oh my God, he's going to call me. Da, da, da. And I was like, but I knew it had nothing to do with him. That's when I started to become realized like, this is not having to do with him. This is me. So the next morning I remember my mom in the kitchen and I said, I'm just going to go create this video. I don't know why. And I made a video and I was like, I don't know. I had a date with this tech guy last night and then it went viral. And then subsequently, then our second date. And I was like, uh, the guy that I thought I was never going to see again, asked right. me on a date. I was like, all right, I guess I'll go. And that is where I started to realize and like started to kind of practice, wait, I want to start having these conversations with him and seeing, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. He's not big into texting and just allowing it because I was so busy with my own life. I was building my career. I was moving. I had all these moving parts and I kept saying, fuck it. If it doesn't work with him, I'll be okay because I released control of the outcome. And here we are. I love that. That's all just awesome. And I like that you touched on the things that we value and that we put uh, a high level of importance on oh. because in the beginning you were talking about how, Oh, well, you know, this other guy had a huge follower count and we're looking at the superficial and kind of ignoring what's actually going on with the person. How are they showing up? The things that they're saying, are you spending time together? What is there is the time that you're together actually quality time 
right? Or is it more time being spent in the bedroom versus like actually communicating and talking and, and doing things side by side? Like what is the actual level of intimacy in that relationship? I'm really proud of you for being able to, to move beyond that because so many of us, we, we get stuck in that idea that we have to have this particular person. They have to have these 10 preferences. And yeah. we established early in the program that they have to have three out of three to five out of the 10 in order to be dateable. So we're all in agreement with that three to five out of 10. Yeah. Um, but you're going to be hard pressed to really find that 10 out of 10 for you to step in and go into uncertainty with tech guy, I think is just absolutely amazing. It also doesn't exist. I don't think there's anybody that's perfect. Nobody is even I'd love to say I am. I'm not I'm annoying. I have my quirks. I have my things like I have stuff that he can't stand. But what I what I noticed was like in the beginning stages, like I remember all the shit that I was caught up on. Okay, well, he has a good job. But it was like, oh, I hate his car. I don't like the way he's dressed. He's a little like he had a couple of pounds extra. And I remember my mom, she looked at me and she's like, what don't you understand? That's easy to change. She was like, you can fucking work on that. Don't worry. And she was like, but who is he? And then now it's like, what happened? Lost his job. So there went that security, like tech happened. And it's like, then we talked about it. He wants to get a new car. Great. Problem solved. He lets me now. I went through his closet and like, he was like, Hey, listen, you know, fashion. I don't, I helped him. He's lost some weight. Now we've been working out together. It's like all of the shallow stupidity. Like I didn't like his haircut, whatever. He's now trying. He's like, Hey, I left it a little longer. Like, and that's it. Yeah. We think people think that they know what they want, but they don't actually know what they need. And I learned that with software. I would do polls of like, oh, wait, what colors do you want me to launch? I'll never forget. I asked and it was like the pink was the number one. Oh, my God. I remember telling my business partner, black and navy got nothing. Pink was number one. Guess what didn't sell? Not one fucking thing sold. Because sure enough, when I made the items, pink didn't sell because people thought they wanted it. But then they were like, no, but I actually need black. No, who am I really kidding? I'm actually going to go with that. We could think, and that's why my brother's old thing has always been like, burn the checklist. It doesn't matter what their fucking height is or if they have this or if they've gone to this school. Like, how do you feel with them? Do you feel seen, heard, and understood? Do you feel safe? Do you feel reciprocated? Do you feel consistency? If you're not able to match any of those, then I don't give a fuck what kind of car he drives or how much money he has. Ain't shit going to change who that person actually is. And so this is a question directly from uh, the comment section, and it's your person doesn't care enough to try and understand you. How do you deal with that when you're having this feeling that it just doesn't feel like they're able to connect with you or that they even want to connect with you or try to understand you, but yet you're in this relationship. Maybe you've been in it for 10 years and you're kind of, you know, in this holding pattern. How do we navigate that? I think to me, the first thing that comes to mind is like, there is an element of reality that not everybody's compatible with you. So if that's not their priority, or if they don't know how to speak the same language as you do, you could be in a relationship for 10 years. That doesn't mean you need to do an additional 10. That means now it's time to reassess and say, okay, are my needs being met? Do I feel like this is still a a love that I want to pursue? Whether it's early stages of dating or not. And I think that's a common misconception I see is like, What I've noticed a lot is it's a very victim mentality. Everything is very much of like, why does this keep happening to me? And this just keeps happening to me. And this just keeps like all these guys keep doing this and this as opposed to wait, what about my part in this? What about what I want and need? What about my desires? It's not just yours, but it's both. Like once you get into a relationship, it's both of you taking care of each other's needs and, and checking in. If you are with somebody, whether it's early stages of dating or you've been with them for 10 years, if they are not trying to, to, to understand you, if they're not trying or if it's perceived to you as that, you can have a conversation and say, listen, I don't feel like I'm a priority. I don't feel like my needs matter to you. I'd like to bring this to your attention because I don't want to accuse you or think that you're doing this out of malice. But above that, there is an understanding that not everybody can be there for you in the ways that you need them to. And that's part of evolution. That's also part of growth. That if you start to do work on yourself and realize that you have different wants and needs and you start to realize my partner can't give that to me, that doesn't mean that you have to stay with them. That can also mean that they, this has run its course. And I think that's kind of why I liked uh, Jay Shetty's book was it's like getting ready to receive love, but also getting ready to lose love. But it doesn't always have to work out. And if somebody is not, somebody's checked out, somebody's not showing up for you in the ways that you need to, talk to them. I'm not being like, just ghost them and walk away. Right. Try to talk. But above that, you can't convince them to change. You can't convince them to put you first. You can't pray that they're going to want to see you as a priority. It's just about assessing, does that work for me? And if not, well, then great. I need to move to what does. 
Yeah, it, it's really comes down to do they have the emotional capacity to be in that space with you to want to yeah. work on the relationship and to talk about these things in a way that's going to be beneficial for both of you so that you can understand where they're coming from with their own problems, issues and concerns. And, you know, maybe they haven't articulated it in the past. So we want to create that safe space for them to actually be able to give you that information. And then you can make some informed decisions on, is this the relationship that is going to benefit both of us in the long term. You know, are we supporting each other in, in the important ways for the next 50 years? Right. And what's the important key here is like the amount of time also that you spend with this person. Yeah. If you have an established relationship, fucking talk to them. Like maybe go to therapy if you guys need that. Like, like you said, get curious if they don't have the bandwidth. You've been dating someone for two weeks, three weeks, and you're starting to see this bullshit and they're clearly not making you a priority and it's soon and maybe and we'll see. And it's like that at that point, it's like, no, you don't need to have this like in-depth conversation with them. That's where you have to decide, does this work for me? The longer you spend on the people that are wasting your fucking time, the longer you are spending away from the person that can actually give you what your needs are. And by the way, guys, soon, maybe, and we'll see I is can't. a, is a no. I'll let you know. It's nah. a no. It's just no. And when you understand that, then you'll stop trying to figure out, well, what are they thinking? What's going on? I don't understand. You're confused for a reason. And it's because they don't know what they want. And it's not you, because if it was you, they would be more inclined to be trying to work on the relationship and figure some things out and be asking you out on dates and actually showing up on those dates and maybe not canceling them. So just remember, those are all a no. Yeah. The next thing that pops up is boundaries. And so I know you talk a lot about this as well, but how can we understand what our boundaries are, but then also hold that boundary with the other person? So I think the first step is like connecting with yourself. If you don't even know what it is that you're willing to accept or not, or what it is that you're willing to share or not, then you can't show up with that person as it. And so like, there are actually seven different types of boundaries. There's physical, there's emotional, there's mental, there's spatial, things like that. People don't even realize a boundary is something as simple as, hi, can you please take your shoes off at the door? What you're doing is you are, boundaries don't keep people out, they protect what's in. And what you're doing is you're essentially telling somebody where you are on the map so that they don't have to go and, and guess. It's, I'm right here. And so I'm really big. I'm like, I don't love the setting a boundary to kind of use therapy jargon as a, as a, as, as a, like an intro for you. So like, for instance, when I'll get people that'll be like, well, I like, I'll get texts and I'll see it. And they'll like, a guy will ask them like, oh, do you want to grab a drink tonight? And then like, we can, you know, whatever, like go for a walk or whatever. And the, the girl will respond like, sure, but I'm just letting you know, I'm not sleeping with you. I'm setting my boundary. And I'm like, cool. Do you need to do that before you even gone out? It's like at that point, then what that tells me is like, oh, you don't trust yourself. You have to put this out there because 99.9% .9 of the time they end up having sex. It always ends up happening where like the guy's like, yeah, sure. What a boundary is, isn't to like, it's not to, to, to push people out. It's really to let somebody know how you're going to be able to show up as the most sustainable version. And so for me, I would set boundaries. If a guy would ask me for a drink, hey, I don't really drink. I'm not interested, but I'd love to meet you at six for a, a mocktail. That's me setting a boundary. No, I don't want to drink. No, I don't want to go out. No, I don't want to do this. I can't set that boundary if I'm disconnected from myself of what I even want or need then how am I going to set that if I don't even know it? And so I think the first step is sitting with yourself. What are things, a journal prompt I love, what are things I used to accept in dating that I no longer want to accept? Okay, last minute plans, fucking the, the I'll let you knows and the soons and the maybes, great. So then if that's the case, then your new boundary becomes, hey, I only like to make future plans when it comes to dates. I don't want to do a same day plan. Cool, you're setting a boundary for yourself. That's great. You are telling people, this is how I show up as the most sustainable version of myself. Another boundary. Hi, I don't feel comfortable with you sitting so close to me. It doesn't need, you don't need to explain yourself. Sometimes it's just as simple as, no, I don't want that. Here's what I'd like instead. Or no, that doesn't work for me. I will tell you, telling me to shave my beard is not a boundary. I'm no. just, I'm just saying. That's control. That one came up. <laughs> like, like, no. Sorry, not happening. No, and there's, it's a different thing. I did something about the, I was talking to my therapist about it with the social media thing. The difference is like a setting a boundary. And I know the whole Jonah Hill thing starts to get into play. I'm like, I don't even, like that stuff was just so minute. It was such a flip on the screen. But like the social media stuff with the, um, the girls, 
there's a difference between trying to control somebody of being like an ultimatum. Like if you don't stop this then I'm breaking up, but like if you're dating somebody and you start to see, whoa, you're following all these models, like you can share with them. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. I don't feel secure. It would make me feel better if you didn't follow all these girls. I don't know the reason for it. You're letting them know, hey, the boundary I have is like, I don't want a man that's constantly looking at other women. That's very triggering for me. So if you want to keep dating me, I don't really want to keep, I don't want to pursue in that. Because somebody was like, I thought boundaries were for you, not about other people. It's like, no, you're letting somebody know what is things that you're willing to accept and what you're not. For you, a beard, that's a non-negotiable. If somebody says, I don't date guys with beards. Okay, that's your non-negotiable. Yeah. Doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with Jason or that he needs to shave it. You are just expressing, I, it's not my thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's part of the brand now. So, but the guys that do that kind of stuff, going back to liking everything on social media, we've all been there and you don't really think about it. And it's just like, oh man, she's hot. Like, and you're not thinking about that, but you're also not thinking about your priorities in life, where you're going, what you're doing and why you're doing it. You're in this mode of just kind of, you're perusing, you're going through, you're not really focused. You don't have a mission and vision. You don't have a purpose. You might have a job, but you don't have anything beyond that. And so I would encourage you, if you're one of those people that has to like everything on social media, maybe you need to drill down a little bit harder on what your purpose is, where you're going, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and figure out what your one year, five year, and 10 year plan is for what you want to create in this world. And it's every single one of you has inner excellence that you need to tap into that is already inside of you. You just don't know how to tap into it yet. And so I would focus on those things. A lot of it's escapism too. Yeah. A lot of that behavior. Like I, yeah, I get a lot of girls that will ask like, we don't get this guy. He's always liking girls photos. And I'm like, Dude, then like, what are you fucking with a child for? Like, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna date a guy. Like, I know those guys, those playboys, especially they're like super hot and they follow all the hot girls. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. It's not that I need them to change. That's a decision, that's a boundary I'm making for myself of I don't wanna date people like that. Because to me, what are you trying to seek after? You're always looking for the next best thing. You're very visual. You're trying to get that immediate hit of like, where it's like, but you've got me in front of you. So if you're not satisfied with me and you have to kind of, Porn, different story. If you're doing something in that moment and you want to go do something, hey, I'm not there, right? But just for social media and like scrolling and having all these hot girls, if they're not adding value, that's what tech guy always says. He's like, I follow, there might be attractive. He's like, because they're trainers or they're in like, you know, they're, they're biohackers or something. And he's like, and they're giving me actual like things I can utilize in my life, not just salacious, just hot for the sake of hot that are goals with only fans. Like, then at that point, yeah, I would start to wonder, like, what are your priorities in dating? I highly doubt it's the, the same things that I want if you're so fucking googly-eyed by her ass. <laughs> mm. Here's another question that pops up. How can I create a better relationship with the avoidant? And this is always from somebody who's the anxious attacher, and they're very focused on what's going on with the other person. So how would you answer that question? So it's a couple things. Um, it's a twofold. One, so if you... Okay. If that person, let's say it's like tech guys avoidant and I'm more anxious. So we try to find balances of that all the time. If this person, if you're dating an avoidant that's in therapy and really trying to work on themselves, then the number one thing is living, learning to understanding that that person is going to need space. Understanding that them needing space does not mean there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean you need to catastrophize it, but you can set boundaries around that space of like, Hey, okay, you want the day? Fine. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Take the time. Or like tech guy used to do that all the time. He'd be like, hey, I need you to leave by 12. Like I need to have the night to myself to get ready for the morning. Okay. And I would leave being like, instead of internalizing it and being like, it's because he doesn't like me and he has another girl. I left being like, no, he's genuinely sits on the couch because he, that's how he re strategy, like he gets within himself over time. He has opened up. And eventually over time, when we first started dating, I said, okay. And then after a while, after like three or four months, even to this point, I'll be like, hey, you say you want to co-create with me, but you're not allowing me in. And then that's when he would say, okay, you know what? You're right. Let's do two nights together. And we slowly but surely allowed him to become more comfortable to now where we can, we're moving in together. But you that's know? the pace you have to take with an avoidant because you're cultivating trust, trust that they didn't receive when they were young. Patience. Yeah. Patience is the biggest thing. And anxious people don't have fucking patience. They want the immediacy of it because everything is the end of the fucking world. And that is what I mean by you will be a self-fulfilling prophecy then. Whereas if you are dating somebody who's avoiding, who is painfully avoiding to the point where no, they're not trying to have conversations with you. No, they're not trying to better themselves. No, they're not trying to understand you. They shut down. They turn it on you. Then here's what I would say to you, babes. Why do you keep allowing it? 
What about this person? Do you keep allowing? If that doesn't work for you, because for an avoided somebody else, they might they might work really well with somebody else. Somebody else might say, this doesn't trigger me. I'm fine with the fact that this person doesn't want to talk about emotions. I don't fucking know. That's another emotionally unavailable person. But if you are trying so hard, what it sounds like is you're self-abandoning. You're trying to make them feel comfortable at the expense of your discomfort. When what it is, both people have to accept that they both have shit that they need to work on and work through. And it's about finding compromises because it's not that all like, it's the same with me with tech guy. Yes. While when he would have his avoided moments, but then when I would be anxious, I'd be like, cool. So you have your night alone. Well, then I want a date night this week. I want to know that I'm going to see you. And he'd be like, okay, that's a fair trade. I get two nights alone. And then we spend some time together. That was our balance of give and take. I respect what you need, but I am also, and then I would say, fine, you want to have your time alone then call me tonight just so that I can at least talk to you and be like, okay, fair. It's a balance. It's finding what works both for you. It's not all about self-abandoning just to make the avoidant feel better. Like we, it's, that's not a way to live. It's just next level communication. And I love it. I'm here yeah. for it. Big. I'm big on the communication of like, like somebody wrote in here, like, okay. Can I answer this question, Jason? Yeah. Somebody just wrote in, how do you know if they're avoidant or just not interested? Yeah. It's a perfect question. Matter? What does it matter? Zoe and I talked about this. What yeah. does it actually matter? If somebody is not willing to have open conversations with you, they get terrified about commitment conversations. They get, what does it actually matter if they're interested or they're just not picking the whether they're interested in avoidant or not picking up what you're putting down? Because what's happening now is here we go again, by trying to focus on, are they avoidant or just not interested in me, in you? What you're doing is you're taking it off of you and you're putting it onto somebody else. Now it becomes all about them where you have to detect it versus, hey, well, their behavior doesn't work for me either way. And if somebody is disinterested, trust me, soon, maybe, I'll let you know, we'll see. They're not pick, They're not into it. If somebody is not trying to make time to see you, they're not interested in you. That's it. I don't care what fucking excuses you want to tell me under the goddamn sun. I'm busy and I work this, that, and the other. Baby, we are all busy. We all have families. We all have jobs. We have lives. We have commitments. We have things that we have. But if I'm interested in somebody and dating is a priority for me, then my time will go there and I will communicate effectively and clearly. If I'm disinterested, ain't none of that is going to happen. If somebody is avoidant, like I said, if they're running away every time you even say, I like you and they're, Jesus Christ, they shut down. You don't hear from them for three days. doesn't matter if they like you or not. To me, I'm not looking for a project. I'm looking for a partner. So that's when I would tell them, hey, while I understand that you might be going through all this, this doesn't work for me. I want to have open conversations with people, not somebody that shuts down every time I mention an emotion. That doesn't work. So that's where I go back. What does it matter? Instead of trying to play fucking detective, assess the behaviors that work for you and don't get turned off from the behaviors, especially in the early month when it's not working for you. The layer that we always add to this is, well, how can you tell if they're a narcissist? I mean, listen, that's that's where narcissist personality disorders, that's where I'm like therapy, um, right. you know, talking about it. If somebody's a narcissist, the thing is, I think a lot of people don't want to, ex you can tell someone's a narcissist. Because it usually gets added into that question. It's usually, how do I know if they're avoidant, narcissist, or just not interested? Like, so we, we lump that together. A narcissist is always avoidant. Avoidants are not always narcissists. Those are two completely different things. A narcissist is somebody that lacks empathy. They take no accountability. That's why, so for everybody you want to know, start asking these fucking questions on your dates. How did your last relationship end and what did it teach you about yourself? A narcissist is going to say, all my exes were crazy. I didn't do it. My God, I don't know why they all freaked out. An avoided will be like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't talk. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, whatever. It just ended or she was crazy. Whatever. You know, she just like didn't want to be with me. Or they avoid the conversations. Oh, I don't want to talk about my ex. It's like, we're not talking about your ex. We're talking about why the relationship ended. Very big difference. Love bombing, huge component that narcissists use where they overwhelm you with love, affection, and admiration early on. It's a manipulation tactic used to disarm you so that they become the center of your world. And then you start to question your own judgment. Oh, yeah. All the exes were crazy. It's the famous line of a narcissist. They don't take accountability. When you go up and say, you know, hey, you hit me in the face. That really hurt. No, I didn't. You walked into my elbow. <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't do that. Maybe, or maybe you shouldn't talk to me like that because you got me angry. Oh, you don't take it. So nothing's your fault. Got it. Got it. So it's like, I think for a lot of people, when they ask the questions, I'm like, the answer's in the question. I think a lot of people already know these things and they know that their needs aren't being met, but they'd rather hear me and you say it than them hear the other person tell them directly.
Yeah, it really comes down to understanding what your goals, values, and standards are for a relationship with you, and then learning to trust your discernment. Yes. When you when you see these things in action or not in action, like they're they're not showing up, but being able to notice that and observe that, and then go go within and try to understand. Well, what am I feeling right now? Because this is making me feel a little anxious, or like I'm being abandoned, or going back. All of a sudden, I'm six years old and I'm having this this feeling, this emotion that I don't know what it's connected to, but I'm feeling it right here. And so that's the stuff we want to discover and start to work through and start to deal with, and just acknowledge and trust that there's something going on in this particular relationship that I don't like, and it's okay to say no, I don't like this. And I'm going to back away. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to remove myself. Totally. Any avoidance of talking about things like somebody secure, somebody emotionally available. Yeah. Somebody wrote like my, their part, last partner would say, I don't live in the past when asking questions. That's what I mean. Like, it's always shocking when I do the first date questions to ask the people that lose their fucking marble on anything that has to do with emotional availability. And it's like, you're uncomfortable about the question. I like, I had a client once and she was like, I would never ask that. And I finally looked at her and I said, what comes up for you? And she goes, because I know I'd have to answer. And I was like, exactly. You are so disconnected from yourself. You don't even know how to respond or how to have these open conversations, which is why a lot of people will shy away from them. And so if you keep going for emotionally unavailable people, hey, spoiler alert, there's a part of you that is also emotionally unavailable. Anxious people, just because you chase a relationship doesn't actually mean that you're available for one. You're going after things you know won't work. Well, the anxious attacher is also avoidant. They're avoiding that fear of abandonment or rejection. So they'll do everything in their power to make sure that that doesn't happen. And so we're always reaching for certainty of some sort from the other person, which ultimately becomes overwhelming and turns into the anxious and avoidant trap because you're constantly trying to get this validation and understanding of what's happening in this moment. And that's what we're talking about, about understanding your role in that situation and being able to see it and take ownership for what it is, right? We're, we're being overbearing. We're putting too much on the other person. We're trying, we're almost I'm not going to call you an energy vampire because this is subconscious, but that's what it's going to feel like to the other person experiencing this to the avoidant, like you're drawing their energy from them. Yeah. And it's like, also like be a better buyer, you know, like if you keep coming home from the store with things that are broken, it's like, then bitch, start looking at it. Like open the box, see what's in there, take it, walk around the store in these shoes for a few minutes before you get home. Be like, they hurt. Okay. Well, if I just keep wearing them, they won't hurt me. And it's like, okay, well, but maybe we need to have a little bit more discernment. And like, I think the number one thing that I see, it's like, it's okay that things don't work out. It's okay that these, that not, not every connection is going to work out. Not every single person that you're with is going to lead you to be, otherwise we'd all be married to 17 people. But what we can also start to see is like, okay, if I'm seeing patterns, get curious. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you're less than, or that there's something wrong with you. It just means that perhaps you learned behavior that's no longer working for you. <laughs> you're going to love this one. Um, on again and off again, relationships at what <laughs> Here's the thing. My mama has always said this. You're not getting back with your ex. You're starting anew because what worked, what you were doing wasn't working. So if you don't see changes, if I don't see, if I don't have somebody that's going to come to me and say, okay, let's say you broke up a month ago. Well, then what the fuck do you think transpired in a month that all of a sudden they're going to have this come to Jesus moment? Riley, if it were so easy, then you'd be there too. So instead it's like, if you have time that elapses, like, do I believe in right person, wrong time? No. I don't. I think that the person that's for you is going to be at the timing that's right for you. Even if that's somebody that comes back to your life in the future. I have plenty of people I know that broke up, reconnected, and it worked. But they didn't look at it being like, oh, that's the one. It's just the wrong timing, and I'm going to hold out for them. It's like, no, what are you, fucking the notebook? Like, are you waiting out for this, this grand romantic gesture that's not going to come? But if you're on again and off again, what I would say to me, what that says is you don't have boundaries. You're not even connected to yourself. You're willing to take breadcrumbs. And just because somebody chooses you, that gives you the validation and worth that you've been so badly craving from everybody else. And maybe you should start giving to yourself and have higher standards and walk away from people that are not matching those. Because words are cheap, bitch. You can come back to me and tell me you fucked up and you did all this stuff and that you've done all this healing. Really? Let's hear some accountability. Let's hear some ownership. Let's hear what are, what are some actionable steps that you're going to take? Otherwise, you're the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Last question. Are yeah. we ever fully healed? No. No. It's, Why not? Because it's an ongoing, just listen, we've had, I mean, by the time you start doing this work, you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. You've had all those years of conditioning. You've had all of those years of, of learned behavior. It's an ongoing process. I want to be a forever student. That's like saying, have you learned everything? No. Right. No, you can always improve. You can always work. You can become more secure. 
I am significantly more secure, but I still have anxiety. Like, it's not like that goes away. I'm human, but I have healed the parts of me that caused me to feel like I needed other people to, to validate me. I needed to, those parts I have reparented and I've been there for, but do I believe that you'll be ever healed? No. And that's why I think it's a fallacy of I'll stay single until I'm ready or I'll stay single forever. I better to be single. It's like, no, you're avoiding being triggered. You're going to be triggered because you're a human and you're walking out the door instead of being so scared of, well, I'm not going to date until I'm healed. Maybe think about, I'm not going to climb a mountain without the right tools. So as I start to assemble the toolkit, I will start to feel more comfortable climbing this mountain. Doesn't mean it's going to be any easier. And I want people to know, like, it's totally okay to take time away from dating and relationships and to give yourself that opportunity to be by yourself and to sit in that discomfort and begin to understand your mind without the anxiety of a relationship. But eventually you got to go back out into the world and experience other people again and allow them into your inner circle and your sphere of influence. And it's going to trigger you and it's going to be overwhelming at times, but that's that's the work. It doesn't mean that they're not the right person for you. Use your discernment, learn to trust that, but then dive into learning about the other person and yourself. 100%. That was well said, Jason. I appreciate you. Sabrina, you know I love you. We've collaborated a bunch of times now, and I always appreciate you spending time with me and spending time with everybody here. How can everybody reach you, work with you, all that other fun stuff? Thanks, Jason. So do the work podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever podcasts are found, uh, do the work podcast, Instagram, and then my TikTok and personal are Sabrina.Zohar. So um, Sam store dash Sabrina Zohar is Jason. And I always say, please don't DM. We have to put those that talk about boundaries. Yeah. Um, but if you want to work with me, you can just go to the link in my bio or go directly when I want to ask a question, whatever, or just listen to the podcast and see if your questions are answered there. Awesome. That's day 16, guys. That's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the Thank rest you. of the days.